You're now listening to a new episode of Gratitude Through Hard Times. Gratitude instills humility. Gratitude removes ego. Gratitude helps empower the best in others around you. Our goal is to guide individuals and companies to practice gratitude so you can live a longer, happier, and more successful life. Get ahead of life with connection and purpose. This is Gratitude Through Hard Times with Chris Shembra. Welcome back to another episode of what you remember of 747 Conversations now rebranded to Gratitude Through Hard Times. For those of you who have been loyal listeners of this podcast, I welcome you back. Some of my favorite moments during the week are when you email in your questions, your comments, your thoughts, your concerns of the amazing guests we bring on this podcast. Your loyal listenership and the questions you help us ask are what keep this interview series going. If you're new to the podcast, I want to give a big old welcome. You've stumbled upon a wonderful conversation where we bring on great leaders to share the stories of the people that helped them get to where they are today and how an attitude of gratitude has helped them build the companies they've built. If you look through those podcast episode archives, you'll see amazing episodes with venture-backed founders, Fortune 50 CEOs, Academy Award winners, number one recording artist, and so much more. If you like what today's episode is all about, we invite you to subscribe. If you know of one person that needs to hear this message, we'd like you to share it with them. Impact is the goal. Today, we've got a special episode prepared for you. Not only special because it's quite a neat fellow that we're bringing on, but special because I actually use his products. He's actually meant the world to us on our previous trip that we just returned to from Israel. We'll talk about more of that on the actual podcast. Today, we have the founder and CEO of not only Lokai, uh, a great bracelet company, uh, Bracelets with Meaning, uh, but also Elements, a wonderful uh, aptogen drink, uh, super plant company that we're going to talk about just a little bit on the podcast. Um, Steven is a multifaceted entrepreneur who is moving from the phase of being a great founder with a vision to being a CEO committed to long-term goal setting, building out amazing teams, and building out these great companies. His companies you've likely heard of. If you literally go on the internet, you've likely seen Justin Bieber, Cam Newton, hundreds of brands, the Kardashians wearing his products. He's a kid who had humble beginnings, founding his first company in high school that was uh, a wonderful pen company that he'd sell, wooden pen company that he'd sell to his neighbors. And he founded his first, second company in college. He ran track at Cornell. Now he's got a wife and two kids. He's lived the whole nine yards. And he's lived to tell the stories with us here today. Today, we're not going to be talking about all the stuff that you can find on the internet about Stephen. We're not going to be talking about his funding or the velocity of the pace of which he grew his company, his operations, team, product, etc. He's got expertise that's on the internet for you to consume. Today, we're telling his human story. Today, we're talking about gratitude. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome here to the podcast, Mr. Stephen, welcome to Gratitude Through Hard Times. What's up, brother? Thanks for having me, Chris. <laughs> now, we've connected this morning on a lot of wonderful things. Um, 
the bracelet that I'm wearing that's yours if you're if you're tuning in uh, just via audio. Um, Steven is known around the world for producing bracelets that have meaning. And we're going to talk about that in just a few short minutes, but I'm actually wearing his product. I'm also wearing a Nantucket sweatshirt, uh, that, that has an amazing, uh, connection to his family history. And so I wanted to start off this conversation with a simple question. And it's a question about gratitude because gratitude is wrapped up in everything you do from founding the company in honor of your grandfather, us talking about your family connection to Nantucket. Stephen, I want to ask this simple question. Um, and I'm going to challenge you to think about this because I know you talk about your dad in many interviews, your grandfather, you built an entire company around. But if you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, that you've never thought to thank... Now, who would that be? Yeah, that's an easy one. It would be my mom. You've never thought to thank your mom? I mean, I thank her personally all the time, but in podcasts and interviews, it's always led and driven by business. And my father was always the guide and person I looked to for business. Um, But after hearing you talk about gratitude... And people I don't thank or, th- or think about enough in my business life interviews is my mother, who's the most selfless person I've ever met. And I think a lot of the gratitude and purpose and giving back that I incorporate into everything I do comes from her. And to give people context on the giving back without actually giving context on the giving back I'll just say in the last nine years since founding your company, your company's given over $8.5 million away to charity. 10% of the proceeds that come from your companies go back to charity. And your mom instilled a lot of that? Oh, yeah. She always put us first, put others first, uh, and always thought about herself last. And just to correct you, it's actually over 9.4 million now. 9.4. You got to <laughs> update your website. Oh. <laughs> 9.4. That's incredible. Steven, when you mentioned the word selfless, um, I want to clarify is that um, your mother sounds like she is a person who is very humble and has great humility, but humility isn't necessarily thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. If your mom had to give herself a superpower, what would her superpower be? Helping others. Helping others. What was the way she helped you when you were a kid? She really puts others first and always put us first as kids, whether it's prioritizing our school schedules, our sports schedules, our shopping, uh, other people, how she could help them, even if they didn't ask for it. Um, Always just thinking about other people first. And that's rubbed off on me. What's your mom's name? Carol. Oh, that's my mom's name. I, I literally sounded like you were describing my mom and they happen to be 
name the same. This is amazing. I love if, that. If, um, if you could do me a quick pivot, yeah. and I want to say thank you to Carol, and I want to highlight one thing that you said about her, is that she encouraged you um, experience and learning outside the classroom. It sounded like she encouraged an adventurous spirit, an extracurricular spirit. Now, that spirit that she instilled in you was part of the spirit that helped you found your company, Lokai. You were literally on the top of Mount Everest, which is, um, well, that's a kind of epic way to start the introduction about Stephen. In a brief few minutes, in that honor of Carol's adventurous spirit, can you tell me about the start of your company, Lokai? Can you tell me about the spirit of the company that you've created so that we can give reference to our listeners about what you've built and then we can come back to the human side of Stephen. Absolutely. So I was 19. It was after my freshman year at Cornell. I was actually on vacation with my family and friends in Nantucket. And I was thinking about how lucky I was to be there. But that week, my grandfather was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And growing up, he was a huge part of my life. Uh, as a kid, he drove me to school, he taught me to play golf and pool and was, a, was always there for me. He was a big part of my life. And um, that news brought me to the lowest low that I had ever experienced in my life. I had never had someone that was on their way to passing, um, right? Because there's no cure for Alzheimer's. And it got me thinking about the highs and lows that I was going through in life and how everybody goes through highs and lows. It doesn't matter your age, demographic, income level. We all have them. And so I said, okay, well, what are the highest and lowest points on earth? Mount Everest and the Dead Sea. And how could I take elements from those two products and incorporate them into a product that people could wear every day as a reminder to find balance, staying humble when you're on top of the world and hopeful when you've hit a low. And I told my dad the idea for the, sto- for the company, Lokai, and the bracelets. And he said, that's a great idea, but everyone has great ideas. Now go execute it. And that's the hard part. And from there, I bootstrapped the business, worked on it for three years in college and launched it in June of 2013 when I graduated. So this upcoming June will, will be 10th year birthday. 10th year birthday. And if we're doing calculations that you've given away over $9.5 million to charity, about 10% of your earnings, sounds like you're about to pass the $100 million revenue mark as well, nearing your 10th birthday. Yeah, we've um, we've done a couple hundred million in revenue. The ah. ten, the ten percent is ten uh, percent of profits. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. Can can you believe what you just said? We've done a couple hundred million in revenue. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. You got a big smile on your face <laughs> when you say that. Yeah. Who? What would you say to the people who doubted you along the way? Who were they uh, in your life? Um, I am very fortunate that I didn't have anyone in my close circle that ever doubted me. And I think that going back to my mom and my dad and family and close friends, 
people have always believed in me and I try to always live up to that expectation. And um, one thing we were, we didn't touch on about my mother is I had also, I'm not, not Alzheimer's. I'm, I'm dyslexic. So as a kid, dyslexia was incredibly hard. Um, and my parents instilled hard work in me from a very young age. And I never let the dyslexia hinder my ability to succeed in school um, or use it as an excuse. And so I've always taken that mindset into everything that I do, including business. And uh, if I believe that I can do something, it, it, I'll have to be stopped by a brick wall because I'll do whatever it takes to make it happen. Um, and when I first came up with the idea, I said, I'll view Lokai as successful if we sell over 10 million bracelets. Uh, and we're now around 12, 13 million units sold. <laughs> How does dyslexia show up in your life today? Um, obviously, it's hard to read. So um, I'm much more of a visual person try to do a lot more uh, calls a lot more. My team knows don't send me a long email. I just won't read it. Um, And I I listen to all my books on audiobook. Wow. A lot of the listeners uh, that are, that are, that are tuning in, you've all heard us talk about, um, a lot of our guests having ADHD, um, you with dyslexia, uh, people that have overcome extreme obstacles, you know, to get to where they are today. Um, and most people would write off people like us as, uh, you know, have, uh, having a disadvantage. Um, but in truth, I believe my ADHD, your dyslexia and the obstacles or, or, or challenges that some of our guests have, have overcome have become the greatest advantage. Um, what did it mean to you in life to uh, be continuously overcoming obstacles in order to develop resilience? Um, what type of connection did it create with others? What types of opportunities did getting through something tough create for you? Yeah, I, th- I think to to your point about a so-called weakness strengthens other muscles, right? And for me, I've always been an incredibly competitive person uh, with others in sports. I'm a big athlete, uh, but also with myself and just understanding how much harder I have to grind and work to read the same textbook or the same book in school as other kids and how easy it comes to them, but still wanting to beat them in grades um, has just, it's been instilled in me. And so I take that into business as well. Um, And it's less about the reading now. And it's more just about that mentality of always wanting to win and be my best uh, and do the best that I can do. Hmm. Now you you are a highly competitive person. Again, for the listeners' uh, frequency, you you had rode 
uh, road ran track, it, it ran track uh, at, at Cornell. That is uh, certainly a, a mighty, mighty, mighty historic program to have been a part of competitiveness, winning, overcoming obstacles, getting things done, work ethic. We've heard a lot about this. Um, but you built a company, um, as, 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 as we know, that, that has uh, elements of the highest point, uh, Mount Everest, um, to help you stay humble at your best, and, out, and, and the, the lowest point on earth, mud from the Dead Sea, uh, to help you stay hopeful at your worst. Now, as you say, or have said in interviews, you built a company of the blending of opposites, the highs and the lows, the, the hopeful and the humble. What is the opposite of competitiveness and why I ask this in, 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 in your strength uh, repertoire, why I ask this is you're very vocal about um, trying to prevent burnout. And we're going to get to the team side of that in a sec, but you're very vocal about preventing burnout, which can come from a competitive winner take all. I'm going to do everything I can to build a couple hundred million dollar company mindset. What do you do to, to blend the opposite of that competitive spirit? Yeah, I, I think the, the word I'd use that's the opposite would be average. Um, mm. I, th- I, I think uh, people, when they think of the word balance, uh, I think sometimes they perceive balance and like work-life balance as, oh, that's just an average person. They're just not working hard enough or they're just not doing X hard enough. Um, and when we talk about competition, right? It's like, are you running a sprint or are you running a marathon? Uh, and I want to be the most successful in business version of myself when I'm like 70 or 80 years old. I don't want to peak when I'm 31 years old. Uh, and so I'm really taking that long-term view on how I do everything. And, uh, to find my work-life balance and sustain myself yeah, I think a lot about how am I the best father and the best husband and the best physical shape that I can be in working out. Because if I fill those buckets, I'm more present at work, I'm more compassionate, um, I have more empathy. And so I believe that if you are finding balance in the things that fill your bucket in life outside of work, you will be the best version of yourself in all of them. And you will be able to continue to do that for as long as you want to do it. Mm. It's so amazing to hear you say that. Um, What you're essentially giving people permission who are listening is to say, in order to achieve better, longer lasting, more sustainable results, you need to take the time to pause, to take a step back and to take care of yourself outside of work in a really holistic and well-being oriented way. Absolutely. But what prevents people from knowing to do that? Because that sounds like something pretty simple that one would say, oh yeah, I can't perform my best if I'm not operating at my best outside of work. Where, where did we go wrong? Where did we convince ourselves that you need to kill yourself in order to get something good? You're telling me you've built a couple hundred million dollar revenue business by actually taking time to work on yourself as well? Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think, I think especially in the, 
last decade of where entrepreneurship has been a trendy thing, right? Back in the day, like being an entrepreneur was not cool. Uh, it's become cool over the last five, eight years. Uh, and every millennial is now an entrepreneur. Um, and I think that mentality is, oh, it's cool to be an entrepreneur because entrepreneurs make a lot of money. And then I think people start companies because they want to make a lot of money. And when you have that mentality, oh, I'm starting this because I want to make a lot of money. The first thing you're doing is looking, okay, in five years, I'm going to sell my company for X amount of money. And that's how I'm going to make a lot of money. And so then you're killing yourself thinking, oh, in five years, I'll sell this and make the money that I want and I'll be done. In the reality, it takes way longer than that. For most, there's some unicorns and exceptions that blow up after a year, a couple of years, four years, right? But most successful companies and some of the most successful entrepreneurs that I personally know have been doing it for 20, 30 years. And they own big chunks of their company and they've been building slow and steady for a long time. Um, and so it's about the journey, not the destination. Yeah. Uh, which is which is part of our kind of brand motto. And um, yeah, I just try to live live that way. And it's my company, so I'm reminded of it every day about staying humble and hopeful and finding balance in the journey. And um yeah, I try to also encourage our team to live that way as well. Uh, because something I realized and recently implemented is uh, I'm sure you've heard of summer Fridays, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and people love them. It's like 2 p.m. on Friday in the summer, you get off, you get to do what you want. Like, it's amazing. And I was like, why does the weather dictate that uh, offer? Like, just because it's cold doesn't mean people don't want Friday afternoons off to get chores done or go to the doctors or travel or whatever they need to do. And I saw myself using Friday afternoons to like drive upstate or like do something with my kids. And I was like, how am I doing this? And know that it's helping me, but not giving that to my team as well. Um, so we call them balance Fridays. Uh, people get off at 2 PM every Friday and they use that time for whatever they need to bring balance to their life. Do you find, oh, I got a lot of questions. Uh, do, do you, how do you find that they use that time? But I want to get to balance Fridays in a little bit. I want to go back to one simple question. What event did you run in track? 400. The 400. So a relatively short distance of time compared to uh, 50K or, you know, 50K yeah. or 10K. Folks, this man, uh, I didn't ask you your pronouns, but this man is talking about having run a very short distance. He wasn't a marathon runner. He was a sprinter. Yet he's somehow saying that as a CEO, he's got the long game as a marathoner and not what every other millennial or, or, or person on your team is trying to do now, which is the sprint. How did you make that shift? Because that's a mindset. That's a mega mindset shift to be a accomplished collegiate sprinter 
and now be a marathon running CEO, marathon walking almost CEO. How, how do you, that's got to be a lot of friction in the old brain. Yeah, I, w- I would say there's two things that really stick out. One is experience, right? I've been doing it for 10 years now. And I, I was not like this 10 years ago. Uh, I slept in the office when I first started the company. So I've learned how living this way is better for the long run over the years and the decisions and the way I treat people and the team and uh, the importance of finding balance. Um, Also with responsibilities like kids, you don't want to neglect the most important parts of your life. And so how do you find that balance to do it all? Um, On the true business side, uh, I'm so fortunate to be able to sit on the national board of the Make-A-Wish Foundation, Hmm. uh, which is an absolutely beautiful nonprofit organization. Uh, Excuse me. And uh, there are some incredible operators on that board with me. Uh, Just to name a few, the CEO of Disney, CFO of Netflix, president of WWE, uh, and just getting to experience how they make decisions and when crises come up, how they deal with them, and just think about strategy, operations, being emotional about the mission, but not emotional about the decisions and the business. Um, I've been able to just be a sponge um, and learn from some of the best. What's uh, what's one thing, you can keep them anonymous, but what's one thing that um, very specific and measurable that that uh, that has impacted you from, from sitting on that board uh, that's been a, a complete, you know, 180? in the way you think. Yeah, I think it's that it's it's what I just mentioned, right? It's um being so emotional about your mission and what the purpose is that you're there for, mm-hmm. but then taking emotion out of the business decisions. If things go really well or things are going poorly, not getting emotional, t- trying to dissect the situation and make the best business decision based on the information that you have. Um, Because I think that as a, as an early young founder, I would get emotional about everything and that emotion would cloud maybe the best decision that should be made, right. Or product. Oh no, I love this design. This is going to be the best one. But then the data doesn't say that if you're too emotional, you're going to make the wrong business decision because of what you personally feel and care about versus what the data tells you and you should follow. Um, So I try to take the emotion out of the business decisions that I make. That's smart. It's a, it's a good thing to learn. Now going back to your, your balance Fridays, you giving people time off on Fridays to go, um, do whatever they want to do. Um, part of part of the balance that we, I hope that your people are finding when they, you know, check out of work is human connection. 
right? So you spend all work week focusing in on uh, uh, business and data and numbers and removing the emotion from the product and doing all these kind of things. And then you give people time, you know, to, to, to create relationships and do their thing and find work-life balance. How do you bring human connection into the workplace? And what does human connection mean to your culture? That is a great question and something that is very hard because we are a remote company. Mm. How many people? We're about 20, 25. 20? 20. Wow. Yeah. Um, and everyone's remote. Wow. Uh, so I actually think because we're remote, it is hard to... You, you have to work extra hard at spending the first five minutes or the last 10 minutes of Zoom calls getting to know the people behind the roles that they're in because being remote in work has made people more efficient, right? You can literally have 10 calls in a day because you're not driving from one meeting to the next. You're just on Zoom, off Zoom, off Zoom, on Zoom. And you can just go, 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 go. But how do you pause and reflect and connect with those people? Um, And so just making an extra effort there, I'm always trying to make sure I'm checking in on people. Uh, But then I think Balance Fridays, we found being remote at work has allowed people to do more things with their friends and their family. Mm. And so I think a lot of people use those Friday afternoons to uh, drive to see their family or take a flight with friends for a weekend trip or um, do things that allow them to travel a bit more um, because they have that extra six hours on Friday. Mm -hmm. The reason why I asked the question about human connection is that a a Harvard Business Review article, um, a study of over 2,700 employees found that 75% of people feel more socially isolated than when the pandemic began you know, two, three years ago. Mm-hmm. And when you factor in those staggering numbers, you talk about a great epidemic, the epidemic of loneliness. And the Surgeon General of the United States shows that when people feel lonely, it's equivalent to the reduction of lifespan of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It's like wow. seven years off your life. And so it's a great epidemic that we're facing. And so my question to you is you're surrounded by these great employees. You're surrounded by uh, an amazing family. You're surrounded by an amazing two sons. You're surrounded by a great dog behind you. But the first chapter of our first book states you don't have to be alone to be lonely. Studies show Thomas Joyner wrote an article called Lonely at the Top. How lonely do you feel right now? What does that look like for you? I would say not lonely at all. Uh, I have, I have, I mean, I'm filled with love from friends and family and uh, the close circle around me. I, I, I prioritize, I think like my mother, 
checking in on friends all the time, really paying attention to my family. Um, and if we're, if we're being super honest and transparent, I like being alone, uh, not lonely, right? But for me personally, like I'd prefer to go ride my bike in the woods alone or go on a run by myself. Um, like I like I ran the New York Marathon, and to me that was overwhelming. Like I would have rather ran it in the woods and no one saw me do it uh, than everyone cheering at the race. And so, yeah, I um, I like being alone a lot. Uh, it gives me time to think, mm-hmm. uh, um, and yeah, keeping a small circle of people that I really care about. And I'm loyal to and understanding that those are my true family friends. Everyone else is an acquaintance or someone that I'm like friends with, but not in the deep sense. Yeah. Great answer. And, 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 uh, I, I see the joy and the love in the expression on your face when you talk about your family and your friends and your connection to self, because that connection to self is sometimes the thing that stands in our way of meaningful connection with others. Um, it's funny. You, you talk about the running, um, you talk about the running in nature, uh, right before we pressed record on this podcast, we were talking about Oliver Bookman, Oliver Berkman's book, 4,000 Week Time Management for Mortals. And there's a quote, um, there's, a, there's a passage in it that talks about um, the, the difference um, uh, or hiking or being in nature um, as, as, a, as a period of well-being. And I want to just read my favorite passage from from that side of the book to talk about the walks in nature that you like to do alone. Um, it's page 155 for those of you who I've recommended. I, I uh, Please email me if I've recommended you Oliver Berkman's 4,000 Weeks Time Management for Mortals and you've read it and you've loved it or you've hated it. Please email me about that. I know a lot of you have bought it. Um, but on page 155, if you're following along, It's just after half past seven on a rainy morning in midsummer when I park my car beside the road, zip up my waterproof jacket and set off by foot into the high moors of the northern Yorkshire Dales. There's a splendor to this terrain that's most powerful when you're alone and in no danger of being distracted from the barren drama of it all by pleasant conversation. Oliver is essentially saying that to be alone in the Yorkshire Dales, away from the mundane conversations that he normally has in life, is his truest way of coming into the present and managing his time in the most efficient manner. So I think that's a great way to start closing down the podcast. Stephen, if your mom was on the call with us here today, what would you say to her? Love you, mom. And she'll definitely hear this because she listens to them all. (laughs) (laughs) Carol, and I'll send it to my mom, Carol, as well. Carol and Carol, 
Oh, they'll probably meet in Nantucket next year. Um, yeah. Carol and Carol, <laughs> love this. Um, Stephen, it's been a pleasure uh, having you on this podcast. Do you have any last words before we start to really close out? No, Chris, thank you so much. Love, love, uh, love your energy. And I look forward to meeting you in Nantucket next summer. I appreciate if, it. If we don't get a coffee in New York first. Oh, I think we'll have to make that yeah. happen for sure. Folks, thank you for tuning in. Look, I, I, I want to summarize this episode um, by focusing in on the energy. And, and Stephen closed out with energy, my energy. And so I must, you know, uh, use that as, as part of the closeout. Energy is everything. Um, what Stephen does for a living is helps you get energy right? Through his bracelets that help you find meaning, help you find balance between the Mount Everest humility and the deep dead sea mud of hope. Um, he does it with his other company, uh, Elements. Uh, by the way, all these products are in like thousands of retail stores in 170 different countries. You can literally go out and get a loci bracelet or an Elements drink, which is a wonderful aptogen, which is a super plant that helps you regulate cortisol levels and decrease stress and blah, blah, blah. All the technical stuff about it, they're amazing. I drank them. Uh, they're in the show notes below. Uh, but he's talking about energy. And that's the most important currency we have in the world today. And this man who's built a company, multiple companies that do hundreds of millions in revenue, he's saying that you cannot get what you need to do done as a leader unless you take care of yourself and your energy and the energy of the people around you. That's it. We didn't talk about go-to-market strategy today. We just talked about energy management. Time is important. Money is important. Relationships are important. Energy is most important. And I hope you caught up on that because life's not about going out and killing yourself to, to the, the, the lens of burnout by thinking that you have to hustle your way into success. No, you can get good stuff done by being strategic and by being smart and by doing things right. Right. He, he said to Forbes magazine one day, people know when you're cutting corners and doing things cheaply rather than giving them the best possible product. There's no easy way to be successful. It's hard. And taking the hard right route is usually the right route. When you take the hard route, when you overcome great obstacles, you have to take care of yourself in the process. That's the theme of today's episode. If you agree with anything that Stephen said here today, I want you to go out and act on it. I want you to go and take a balance Friday for yourself, see how it feels, and then implement that into your team. Check out all the cool links about Steven and his wonderful companies in the show notes below. If you liked what we were talking about today, share this episode with your friend. If you are a loyal listener, we thank you for coming back. If you're just finding us, we encourage you to click that subscribe and share button. It's been an honor doing this work. I'm going to go out and be inspired to go take care of myself so much better. Uh, I hope y'all are having a phenomenal day on earth. Remember, folks, it's your world. Go explore. And we'll see you next episode.